0: This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Tonight, please, to Psalm 56, Psalm 56, verse 8, Psalm 56. You number my wanderings put my tears into your bottle are they not in your book you number my wanderings put my tears into your bottle are they not in your book those who hate god those who are angry with god those who for whatever reason feel disappointed with god often say that god doesn't care that God doesn't see my need, that God doesn't feel my hurt and my pain. But nothing could be further from the truth because it's right here in Psalm 56. He puts our tears into his bottle. In ancient times, the Semitic people in particular uh, would take the tears of the mourners and put them into a bottle and bury them alongside their dearly departed. Simply as a record of their pain and their loss and their sorrow. And so God sees our pain. He sees our hurts. He knows our sorrows. And he keeps a keen record of those things. And so whenever we go through a tough season a difficult time, a trying time, and perhaps we either inwardly or even outwardly shed a tear or two, God keeps those in his bottle. God marks those. And in those tough times, the enemy of your soul is very quick to say, see, God doesn't really care. God doesn't really see you. He doesn't really know what you're going through. Because if he did care and he did know, surely he would do something about it. Or why would he let you go through it in the first place if he really cared? Those are the lies and the tricks of the enemy of your soul. And perhaps in those times you may be tempted to feel like Mary and Martha when their brother Lazarus died and they sent for Jesus and he didn't come and they said, both of them, Lord, if you had been here. In other words, they're saying, Lord, you weren't here for us when we needed you the most. You didn't even show up. You didn't feel our pain and feel our hurt. And you knew about it, but you didn't care. That's what they were really thinking. But the Lord already had their tears in his bottle. Not just when he saw them crying when he came, but those four days when he wasn't there, when he knew what they were going through, In a sense, he kept their tears in his bottle. But he had come now to wipe away their tears and give them the oil of gladness for the spirit of heaviness that they had. Psalm 56 is a companion psalm to Psalm 34. And both them and other psalms were written during a period whenever David was being uh, in exile from King Saul who wanted to kill him and had his troops hound and dog David for 10 years up the length and breadth of the land. And David was in hiding, and he was in dens and caves, and it was a difficult time. And he was trying to escape, I suppose capture at best and death at worst. And it got so bad where he, he then decided that he would leave he would leave Israel and he would go to the land of the Philistines because he felt that Saul wouldn't follow him there, and he wouldn't. And so it it was a risky thing to do. Uh, In 1 Samuel 21, it gives the, the sequence of events that shows how David then went to the land of the Philistines. And the second time he went to the land of the Philistines was in First uh, Samuel 27 and up to Samuel First Samuel 30. And that, that's the time whenever he was in Ziglag. And we know that story very well, how he was in Ziglag and so forth. But this time he's on his own. This time he's completely on his own. He, he doesn't have Jonathan, his, his great friend, with him. Uh, he doesn't have his army yet. He doesn't have those that he had with in He doesn't have them yet. He's on his own. And not only that, in 1, Corinthians, 1 Samuel 21, it tells us that Ahimelech the priest gave him Goliath's sword. And when he went to the land of the Philistines, guess where he ended up? In Gath. Goliath of Gath. He ended up in the very hometown of the old enemy that he had killed in the battlefield and caused a great uh, destruction of the Philistines at that particular time. They lost that battle. And so he's gone into the lion's den. And he wasn't there too long until he was recognized, obviously. Uh, and he was captured. And, and they, they would want to put him to death, understandably. But he feigned madness. He pretended to be mad. And through that pretense and acting as if he was insane, he had lost his mind. The king wanted nothing to do with the madman. And so he escaped. But going into that land uh, was a very dangerous, difficult thing to do. And, And in the midst of all of that, during that 10 years when he was hounded from pillar to post, and whenever he was in great danger, and his life was threatened, in those times, in spite of it all, he was able to say, you number my wanderings Put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? God records your every step. He remembers your every tear. He sees your wanderings. He sees your weeping. He records your steps. They're in his book. And he remembers your tears. And he puts them into his bottle. David is saying that God records and God remembers every that we go through he knows about it and so when the enemy tells you and you're tempted to believe that God doesn't care go to Psalm 56 and point it out see every tear I've ever shed God put it into his bottle and so if life is difficult and many times it is and the enemy of your soul it seems like he has overcome us And people conspire to harm us. Know at that moment that God has got your back, that God's on your side. And he he records your wanderings. David was wandering all over the nation, wandering for 10 years. But he says, God has recorded all of my wanderings. Every step I took, God was with me in it. And that's the same for you. Listen, Listen to what he said in verse 9. When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know. How did he know that? Because God is for me. You have got to know in your difficult season, God is for you. That's right. Peter or Paul said in Romans 8:31. 31, If God is for me, who can be against me? He obviously picked up on that psalm, didn't he? And so God had promised David that he would be king over Israel. Whenever he was just a boy, when he was just a lad, remember Samuel came and anointed him to be king over Israel? And so there was going to be no Philistine, there's going to be no devil, there's going to be no Saul that would ever break that promise over his life. Because God is for me, he said. Yes, it didn't look like it right at that moment. In the difficult seasons it never does and in the natural David being enthroned as king over Israel it seemed impossible not inevitable but impossible the current king Saul, even though God had had not no longer accepted him as king but he wouldn't let go of that position he held tenaciously on to that for years. He would not let go of that, even though he knew that God had rejected him. But he held on to that because he knew that David was going to be the next king, and he didn't want that to happen. And so David here is literally all alone. No friends, no one to help him, and yet not alone, because he says, God is for me. And if God is for me, who can be against me? In Romans chapter 8. And you know these verses pretty well, I would say. Romans chapter 8. Well, let's read in verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord so do not let the enemy of your soul say that God doesn't care if you're going through a difficult season because that's when he will come and whisper in your ear or maybe shout in your ear say, no, God does care. He keeps my tears in his bottle. He remembers every tear that I shed for whatever reason. You remember Hagar? The way there in Genesis 21. You remember that situation where Sarah was well past childbearing age uh, and really felt that she never could have a child even though God had promised, a child of promise, and how that she said to Abraham to take unto himself her servant, the Egyptian maid, Hagar and how that she could be a surrogate mother, that she could bear a child for her and when that happened there was tremendous tension come into that home, massive mistake was made and that tension grew and grew and grew until Ishmael uh, was a lad, he was a teenager, and he began to mock Isaac, who came after that, the child of promise. And it was so bad that uh, Sarah and Abraham they, they couldn't stand it anymore, and, and she got thrown out of the house. And she got thrown out, and, and as she got thrown out of the house she went into the wilderness, and it says in verse 14, "So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and the skin of water, put it on her shoulder and gave it, and the boy gave it, and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. the water in the skin was used up, she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went and sat down from him at a distance about a bullshot, and she said to herself, "Let me not see the death of the boy." So she sat opposite him and lifted up her voice and wept. Could not bear to see her boy die of thirst and hunger. And there she sat on the desert floor in the wilderness, shattered, broken hearted. She had read this boy till he was now, but maybe 14, 15. And now she's going to lose him in the middle of the wilderness where no one could see her. And as far as she was concerned, no one cared whether they lived or died. And she wept. But God put her tears into his bowl. God saw it, and God came to her. And God heard the voice of the lad, and the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation and boy he did make them a great nation and the Arab nations to this day has come out of that tearful sad situation it's amazing what God can bring out of a difficult season of a sad time because he puts our tears into his bottle and that's his way of telling us hey I see it I know it, and I record it, and I remember it. Peter, of course, Luke 22, it says about Peter that after he denied the Lord three times and Jesus looked at him, it says, he went out and he wept bitterly. Wept bitterly. Ashamed, guilty, embarrassed, horrified that he, the big Peter, the bold Peter, crumbled in the face of the trial of Jesus, was not there for Jesus when he needed him, denied him three times. No wonder he wept bitterly. But the Lord, as it were, kept those tears in a bottle, marked it, remembered it. And in Mark chapter 16, which we usually read at Easter time. This is now when Sabbath was passed at Mary Magdalene. Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. and said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But When they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen, he is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter. Make sure you tell Peter. (laughs) See, God had his tears in his bottle, he remembered. He knew how badly Peter felt. He knew how genuine badly Peter felt. And he says, make sure the angels, make sure you tell Peter because the Lord wants Peter to be there. And of course, we know it happened eventually. Of course, when they did meet and they met a couple of times, how that Jesus said, do you love me three times and brought him back into the fold and made him a tremendous man of God. But you see, he had his tears in his bottle. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. He wrote the book of Lamentations, and I think that tells you all you need to know. Tears were never far from Jeremiah's eyes. Uh, Jeremiah was, he was not like Elijah. He was not a a particularly strong type of a guy like Elijah. He he was much more tender-hearted and much more sensitive. And it really affected him when he saw the state of the nation and the sin of the nation, the idolatry of the nation. And when he saw the lack of repentance and and he saw that they they would not listen to his prophetic word that God was warning and warning and warning and warning and they just would not listen. And And they put him in stocks and they put him in prison. They put him in a hole in the ground. They did everything. And it broke his heart. And he wept often again and again. But God put his tears into the bottle. God put his tears into the bottle. And in Lamentations chapter 3, again you know it well. Thank God he came to that place in the midst of all of his tears. Lamentations 3, 21. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. He couldn't hope in anybody else. He couldn't hope in anything else. He could only hope in the Lord. And the Lord saw every tear that that prophet cried for the nation, for the situation, and even for himself. Hannah, bless her, in 1 Samuel chapter one, was a broken woman. She was married to Elkanah, and Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. It says in verse 4 when the, whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. In those days, for a woman's womb to be closed was a, a, a thing of great shame terrible shame for that to happen because every woman wanted a child and particularly a man child because a man child may end up to be the Messiah but her rival Penina had loads of children seemed to be every time she looked she was pregnant again it was like sticking a knife in her every time she announced her pregnancy and poor Hannah she couldn't have children And so her rival provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. And so it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? You're always weeping. Why are you always crying? That's what he's saying. Why do you not eat? Why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Well, he meant well for sure, but... It wasn't actually the right thing to say. That wasn't what you wanted to hear. So Hannah rose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but I will give, your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And no razor shall come upon his head. So he's going to be a Nazarite, that means. And she would dedicate him to the Lord. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought that she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have neither drunk wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight, So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. She believed the word of Eli. She believed it was a prophetic word, and she accepted it and trusted God. God, you have heard my prayer. You're answering my prayer. All my tears and anguish for all of those years, my dream wouldn't come true. I was unfulfilled, but God, you've heard it and you're answering it. You see, God had her tears on his bottle all the time. Then they arose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord. Now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned, then I will take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever." So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you, wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. Then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Now when she had weaned him, she took took him up with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour, a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worship the Lord there. God put all of her tears into his bottle. And God remembered Hannah. <laughs> and little Samuel was born. And what a man of God he grew up to be. Hmm. He was the last of the judges and the first of the prophets. You see, God ruled by theocracy, God ruled through a man. But they didn't want a man to rule them any longer. They wanted a king like all the other nations around them. And Samuel warned them and warned them. But they wouldn't listen. You see, they wanted to be progressive. (laughs) There's a lot of talk today about our politics. They want to be progressive. And otherwise, we want what the world wants. We don't want what God wants. That's the old-fashioned way (laughs) that's the dark ages no we're progressive we're modern we're 21st century so give us what the world wants the world wants abortion the world wants LGBT give us that that's what we want and so they lick their finger and hold it up to see what way the wind blows so that's the way the wind blows so we'll go that way we'll get more votes that way but it's not God's way the nation that goes that way is in trouble it's no wonder Great Britain's in the trouble it's in tonight And so Samuel was the one then who was in the transition period. And he became the first of the prophets. And the prophets were raised up by God to be a counterbalance against the kings. It would be the prophets who would go to the kings and say, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. And he was the first of the prophets in that line. And he was the one who started then the school of the prophets in Ramah, his hometown in Gibeah, the hometown of Saul. And they wanted a king. God, and God says, okay, if you want a king, I'll, you'll have a king. I'll, I'll let you have your king. If you want a king, I'll let you have a king. And they get Saul, who was head and shoulders above everybody else and looked at every part of king. But he was a terrible ruler. And the then it was a disaster for the nation. Samuel had warned them again and again. But that's what they wanted. You see, the trouble is, if you keep wanting what God doesn't want, and at the end, if you insist, God will say, okay, you can have it. You can have it. But it'll cause you lots of trouble. It'll break your heart. But you can have it. If you want it, you can have it. And so he started the school of the prophets. And like of God and different ones like that, and even David, who Samuel, David went to Samuel many times for instruction. And then, of course, Elijah and Elisha, they continued the school of the prophets. But it was that little boy, Samuel, that Hannah's tears that God put in his bottle, that he remembered. And he came to Hannah and gave her her heart's desire. The thing that she wanted most in life, that she had wept all those years for, God gave it to her. And what a blessing it was. And then i Luke chapter 7. And we'll not be long tonight. We're coming through this well. Look chapter 7. Verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. Uh, By the way, when it says sat down to eat uh, at the table and so forth, don't imagine it's like how we sit at a table today. They didn't sit upright at tables. That, you know that painting of, of the Last Supper where they're all sitting upright at table? That's not really true. They reclined on, on cushions, and it was very low tables. And so Jesus would be reclining, and his feet probably was tucked behind him. That makes sense when you read on a little bit here. And so they went to, he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. This was a big, big step for this woman to, take, to go to a Pharisee's house knowing that she would be despised, knowing that her reputation would go before her Knowing that she was a talk of the whole town, knowing that everybody would know what she was like. But she took courage in hand because somewhere along the line she had obviously heard Jesus, listened to his preaching, heard his teaching, maybe saw his miracles, and something was changing in her life. There was a repentance that was coming. And she heard that Jesus was at the house of Simon the Pharisee. And she took courage in hand to go there. And she brought this box of very precious oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. Then she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. What a a beautiful scene that must have been. And this woman is is shedding copious tears. They're splashing on Jesus' dusty feet. His feet is ringing, we would say, with the wetness of her tears. She couldn't stop crying. She was racking, sobbing, crying, salt tears onto the feet of the Master. And seeing that... She must have looked around if there was a towel, but there wasn't, so she just took her hair and she began to dry his feet and kiss his feet. What a moment that must have been for the master. For somebody to do that, particularly this woman of ill reputation in the house of the religious police. So she wiped him with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, so he's thinking this in his heart, saying, this man, if he were a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. Rabbis were always asking each other questions. So he said, "There's a certain creditor who had two debtors, the one who owed 500 denarii, the other 50. and when they had nothing with which to pay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him the more?" Simon answered and said, "I suppose the one whom he forgave more." And he said to him, "You have rightly judged." Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, "Do you see this woman?" the one that you were thinking about in your heart? Do you see this woman I entered into your house? You gave me no water for my feet. That would have been the customary, courteous thing to do. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, which you should have done, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loves much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Therefore, he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Because those were true tears of repentance for all to see. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who can even forgive sins? So he said to the woman, your faith, not your tears, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Her tears was the result of her faith and trust in Christ to be her Savior and to be her Lord. Never were tears more precious to Jesus than the tears of that woman that day. It must have meant so much to him. Certainly meant a lot to her, didn't it? But to Jesus, it meant so much to him. And in a sense, he had those tears in his bottle. He recorded them. And 2,000 years later, we're still talking about it. They recorded it for us to remember. Tears of true repentance, for whatever reason it may come, are always kept in God's bottle. All of us have something or someone that we weep about or weep for, a personal loss, an unfulfilled dream, a reversal of fortunes, a time of brokenness. But during those seasons, God records our steps, and he remembers our tears. He remembers our wanderings. He records them. And he puts our tears into his bottle. And so, child of God, tonight, your steps are recorded in his book. Your tears are kept in his bottle. And you can say, that David said, This I know, for God is for me. <laughs> and if God is for you, who can be against you? Amen. So, whatever you may be facing tonight or this season that you're going through, Be encouraged that even if you have shed salt tears, God put them in his bottle. And he remembers every single one of them. And he's going to bless you and strengthen you and help you and remember you. That means God takes the time to do something about it. It's not that he's forgotten and it comes back to his mind. It means that he's going to do something. Now is the time to do something. And the moment will come when he'll remember you in that sense and he'll do something for you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you tonight that you truly, truly care for us. And we're reminded of the words of Peter, of Peter casting all our care upon him for he cares for us. And so tonight, Lord, wherever we are, whatever season we're in, whatever part of the journey we're on, whatever we're going through, whatever we're going into or just coming out of or in the middle of, Lord, you're there with us. You are for us, not against us. And we thank you for that tonight. Amen. So, Lord, put our maybe our secret tears tonight. Put them in your bottle and remember us. And then the day will come, Lord, when you'll wipe away every tear from our eye. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And you'll give us the spirit of joy for the spirit of heaviness. And we thank you, Lord, for this in Jesus' name.